Greetings, everyone. This is Justin Rowland, publisher of CatsIllustrated.com, coming to you on Wednesday evening with another edition of the Cats Illustrated podcast. We've had we've had a lot of Cats Illustrated podcasts in the past, dating back to when Brett Dawson, my predecessor with the site, did did regular podcasts. Apparently, very popular preseason basketball pods. So, this isn't the second episode of the Cats Illustrated podcast series, but because I'm starting to number them, we're going to call it episode two right now and it'll just be a a counting exercise we did episode one yesterday when we talked about a range of topics from the kentucky tennessee game to uh some of the media day topics and and just regular regular things you hear about this time of year and kentucky had their media day opportunity today and kentucky's been in the headlines across sec media over the past 24 hours but especially over the past several hours since uh, Mark Stoop, Stephen Johnson, Mike Edwards, Courtney Love met with the media. And I want to recap a little bit of that and then offer some thoughts, some parting shots on uh, on just some of the storylines coming away from Hoover for Kentucky fans. The first, um, the first thing I want to make mention of before I get to some of the top takeaways from SEC Media Days is the Matt Elam story. I mean, really? Really? It's like we can't get away from the Matt Elam topic. And I'm not saying to turn the page on the guy. I'm not saying to discard him or discount the possibility that he could have a good year. That's not even what this is about. It's not a criticism of him. It's not being down on him. It's not me um, looking beyond him as though he's not going to amount to anything this year. But this story is completely manufactured, okay? And let me walk you through some of my frustration with the Matt Elam story. And we've covered the Matt Elam story, so it, it's not like our hands are totally clean on it. And I think it's it's something that you have to cover because it's what people are talking about, and Stoops had to talk about it today. Um, so it became a story, but it didn't have to be a story, and it wasn't a story. Um, Matt Elam wasn't even at SEC Media Days. He's not even a lock to be a starter for Kentucky. Last year, Nyquist Pringle kind of took over his position. So he's going into his fourth season at Kentucky. His production has been minimal. He may not be a starter. We don't know what Kentucky is going to get from him. And Greg McElroy, the SEC Network, brings up Matt Elam. I don't remember the exact context that it initially came up on the SEC broadcast, but it came up, and then... uh, I think Steve Moss, local media person, um, asked him about it. Those comments that he made where he called Elam basically lazy and said that he was the main reason for Kentucky's defensive line struggles last He's never seen a player so lazy or so unmotivated or get so little out. Whatever he said. You know, we, we all know what he said at this point. Um, but Elam wasn't there. Nothing. There's no reason that we were talking about Matt Elam. Most fans of Kentucky have pretty much formed their opinion on Matt Elam. Media who cover Kentucky don't. I don't. I don't think they really think about Matt Elam that much. And that's again not a criticism. There's no way to say this without it sounding biting. But I know when I'm thinking about Kentucky football in 2017, I'm not really thinking Matt Elam's a linchpin of something. I'm not really thinking of him as an X factor. Now, if he if he comes onto the scene and he has a phenomenal year, then you know Kentucky that could be a really good sign for Kentucky. 
But I think we're at the point with Matt Elam going into his fourth year when he still has body issues and he's had work ethic issues and he's had limited production. Um, you know, the SEC's not slowing down for him. You know, nobody's feeling bad for him. Um, I think at this point, if you told Mark Stoops, if you told the coaches that you would get a serviceable part of your rotation in Matt Elam, they'd probably jump at that. You're not thinking all SEC right now. But Greg McElroy points to Matt Elam as the reason that Kentucky's defensive line was not good last year. Um, he's a smart analyst. Greg McElroy is a very smart analyst. He does his homework. He knows the SEC well, but he's a conference analyst. No conference analyst, no regional analyst, no national analyst has the same kind of expertise or depth of knowledge on a given team as the fans of that team or the people who cover that team. It's impossible to be an, to be a real expert on all 14 teams in the Southeastern Conference. And I think that this is reflected in McElroy singling out a borderline first or second teamer, fourth year player for scrutiny and basically blamed him for Kentucky's defensive line being bad last year. One player wasn't going to make the difference on Kentucky's defensive line last year. It just wasn't going to happen. And he's never been an every-down player. So that created this this huge controversy. And really, McElroy just gave voice to what a lot of people around the program, a lot of people who followed Kentucky have been saying all along. They, they, they know that Matt Elam has had work ethic issues. They know that at times he's been lazy or he's taken plays off and he hasn't kept his body in shape. Um, we, we all know that, but I don't think anybody other than maybe people on the outside, outside, outside looking in who only think about Kentucky before media days or before covering a game would, would think to make this a major story. Um, I don't think Matt Elam's the X factor on Kentucky's defensive line this year. I think Adrian Middleton's going to have a lot more to say about the success of Kentucky's defensive line than Matt Elam. I think TJ Carter might have more to say about the success of Kentucky's defensive line this year. Heck, Cordell Looney might have more to say this year about the success of Kentucky's defensive line than Matt Elam. And if he proves me wrong, then then great. You know, that that would be fantastic. I would be thrilled for him. And this isn't meant to be a criticism of him. It's just kind of the the, the craziness of, of this conversation taking up so much space, and here I am getting sucked into it and fanning the flames. But... I wanted to say something else about it. I don't think Matt Elam has been so much a bust as a college football player. I think he was grossly, grossly overrated going to Kentucky from high school. You know, only one of the four major recruiting ranking networks had him ranked as a five-star. And at the time, it was an outlier pick. You know, there was this drumbeat of excitement. Brrr. Matt Elam's a five-star, and he might have jumped there. I don't remember if he jumped there from a three-star to a five-star or what, but I think it was on the heels of a camp at Alabama, not surprisingly. And he just just blows up into a five-star. And somebody pointed out on the site recently that the head of the company that made him a five-star even went public in the face of some of this criticism and some of the people saying this is ridiculous, saying... Well, it's obvious. His combination of strength and size and, and quickness is just a phenomenal player. And, and other people just didn't see that. I think at Rivals, he fluctuated between a high three-star and a low four-star and ultimately settled in as a as a high three-star. But, but that was done not a mainstream opinion for him to be a five-star. And I still see 
some newer websites, you know, saying such and such is like the highest rated Kentucky defensive recruit since Matt Elam. Well, you're you're using the wrong the, the wrong metric. If you've chosen to use that network for all your ranking discussions or points of reference, then that's fine. But Matt Elam was not a five star according to most people. Most people thought that was a laughable opinion. I know a lot of Kentucky fans at the time went down on rivals and specifically on Woody Woody Womack for standing their ground on that, but they proved to be absolutely right. He wasn't especially quick. I mean, he, he did move at, at at times well for someone his size, but he had major body issues. There's a huge body transformation that that needed to happen. He played a you know, relatively poor level of competition. And more than anything, the Matt Elam, is he overrated, is he a bust storyline, the, the dispute, and I'm coming down on the, on the overrated side coming out of high school, um, the lesson is you can't just rely on highlights. You can make almost anybody look really good on a highlight film. Now, highlights do serve a useful purpose at, at times. You send a coach your highlights through email or whatever, and he he's going to maybe take a quick one or two minute look at it. Those first five highlights, if, you, if you're a great athlete, it's probably going to show up. And that might get, get your foot in the door with a school. You know, if you're not a great athlete, it's not going to show up. Um, but in a lot of cases, you can make an average player look good and you can make a good player look great. Matt Elam was an interesting case because here's a guy who did take plays off, who was not especially in shape, who did have endurance issues. So when he played and he really exerted himself, they could his coaches or whoever put the film together could make him look like a monster. Like I remember he was tossing guys around like rag dolls on his highlight film, but there were other, there was somebody else who I think posted some, some full game footage. And he was also getting stood up by guys that that were probably like 150 pounds smaller than him. And it was clear that he wasn't anywhere near in good enough shape to be an instant impact player. And it was clear he wasn't a five star. I've covered football recruiting for 16 years and I don't go to nearly as many camps or combines now as some of the, the regional analysts or ever as much as some of the regional analysts but I've been to a ton of camps and combines over the years and I've, I've I mean I lived and breathed this before becoming a publisher Matt Elam was not a five-star and it was it was patently absurd absurd and irresponsible it destroyed it should have destroyed a lot of faith in in certain ranking models and processes um, and hopefully it will in hindsight because there was just no way based on any any evidence that was available to people who wanted to look at it that he was a five-star player. That was, a, that was an extreme opinion. It was sensationalized. Um, and frankly, it lended credence to the idea that if, Alabama's gonna offer, if Alabama offers you, then you're going to get a bump in the rankings. I'm not saying that happens or it happens much, but, I mean, that's the impression it created. Um, and it's unfortunate that expectations have just been so out of control for Matt Elam ever since he's been at Kentucky because he was so grossly overrated by one ranking service. It was a joke. It was a flat-out joke that he was a five-star. And at the time, I know he loved it. I'm sure he loved it. And there are going to be people who say that it went to his head and he's, he carried it around and he was big man on campus. And it didn't do him any favors. He was excited about it at the time. And it didn't do him any favors. And there, there are people who will, who will tell you Alabama's coaches were going up to Matt Elam and saying, hey, we got you that five-star ranking. And Kentucky was, was firing right back. No, you earned it for yourself. You know, they tried to counter Alabama's line of attack that they kind of influenced the ranking with their offer. Um, 
but it went to his head. And I think that's probably what happened. And in the long run, it hasn't done him any favors. Um, maybe because it made the learning curve tougher, um, because may- maybe it gave him the impression that he was better than he was. But I think um, the, the bigger thing in terms of his legacy is we're talking about him being an, o- an underachiever when I just think he was, he was overrated. Um, it's not to say he didn't have potential. It's not to say he doesn't have potential, but he wasn't a five-star player by any stretch of the imagination. So why am I talking about Matt Elam? Because somebody randomly started talking about Matt Elam and said that he was the problem on a defensive line last year that struggled across the board. And he was not the problem. He was a problem, but they had a lot of problems. And like like I said, I think TJ Carter and Cordell Looney are going to have every bit as much to say about how good the defensive line is at Kentucky as Matt Elam. And if Matt Elam proves me wrong... Then, then power to him. But this is a, this is a, this is kind of, for me, it's symbolic of an unhealthy power that the media has, coupled with the fact that we didn't really learn a whole lot at SEC Media Days. That a media person randomly starts talking about Matt Elam, a player who had a marginal impact one way or another on Kentucky season last year, and all of a sudden Matt Elam's occupying fifty percent of the writing space and the airwaves and the coverage of Kentucky's appearance. So the media is talking about the media, and media is talking about what the, the other media. I mean, it's just insane. It's insane what we do, but I guess that's why it's still the silly season. Even though this is kind of the unofficial start to the preseason of college football, it's still the silly season. We're also talking about Jim McElwain on a shark and Mike Edwards' pants ripping. And it seems like anything but real football issues. I'm not, I promise you guys, I'm not normally a get-off-my-lawn kind of guy. And you know that we blew the coverage out. And Derek, Derek Terry, and uh, and Anthony Crawford did phenomenal work for us down in Hoover. And there are real football topics coming out of this, thanks to those guys and the other local media at Kentucky who, who did ask real questions and did a great job. But some of the things that, that are being talked about are just ridiculous. And the, the Matt Elam story is one. Um, but on to the real football issues coming out of SEC Media Days for Kentucky. Top takeaways. And if you guys hear hear a pause in the recording, um, that's my fault. We'll get it straightened out. Still, still uh, ironing out some issues here. But top takeaways, real football takeaways from Kentucky's portion of SEC Media Days. Um, the defensive line is an issue, and Stoops knows it. And it's not a it's not a Matt Elam issue, but it's a Kentucky issue. Um, when he was talking to the local media, and I wasn't there, but I saw the video, I wrote the transcript. Um, it's like Stoops preemptively said, almost preemptively said, "I know I'm going to get a lot of questions about it." The defensive line, and just the way that he said that, "I know I'm going to get a lot of questions about it." It's a guy who's who's very familiar with the narrative. What's Kentucky's defensive line going to be like? We've talked about it. Other people have talked about it. They probably talked about it way more than we have in the football offices. Uh, and Stoops didn't really shoot down the concern as ridiculous. And he, not at all. He said, I know I'm going to get a lot of questions about it. We're trying to work on it. We're trying to address it. Derek LeBlanc is here to fix it. But that, to me, sounded like it wasn't like Stoops was trying to convey he's got this quiet optimism about it. He, to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, Stoops sounded like he knows it's a concern, he knows it's what everybody's talking about, and he do, he didn't really have a magic wand. And he didn't have a quick, you know, this is going to make you feel better about it. 
It's almost like he was he's setting us up for this is going to be a struggle and we're trying to get it figured out. And I didn't I thought that was a good answer. I thought it was a good answer. You don't want to set expectations too high because there are real questions on the defensive line, especially with Alvante Bell no longer on the team with so much youth uh, that's unproven with the lack of production last year. They just got to put their heads down and work. And uh, and Derek LeBlanc, I think, is a good coach from what I've been able to to see during during camps that I've been to from people that I've talked to. And, and he's got his work cut out for him. But I thought Stoops was very realistic, just if not in what he said, because he didn't say a whole lot about it, but in his tone and the way that he addressed it head on and he didn't try to tell everyone, hey, it's going to be great. It's going to be okay. Um, and I, th- I think that's in line with Stoops' personality as a coach, sometimes talking to the media. It seems like he's he's got some refreshing honesty if you know how to look for it. I'm not saying dishonesty in other occasions, but sometimes coaches just are just so, so into the coach speak that it's impossible to get anything out of it. I think the way that Stoops talks about certain things, um, you, you can take some real you can take some things of substance from just the way that he addresses certain things, more so than some other coaches. Um, An example of that would be when he was talking about Matt House. Matt House coaching the defense. One of my my questions going into this was how was he going to kind of lay out the role of Matt House as defensive coordinator versus or or along with his involvement with the defense. And he basically said that Matt House is a defensive coordinator, but it's going to be a collaborative effort between House and between himself, Stoops, and the rest of the staff, I think Stoops feels empowered. He certainly sounds like somebody who's not going to make any apologies for being very involved with the defense. And I think for all practical purposes, they're going to basically serve as dual, as co-defensive coordinators. Um, Stoops knows what he's getting in-house. House knows what Stoops wants. At the same time, House has a proven reputation being a good, good defensive coach. And he probably has Stoops' trust because of the way that he improved the linebackers, the special teams last year, and the word of his previous bosses that helped him get the job. Um, but it was interesting. He said, we're basically going to do what we do well. Um, we're, we're not going to get too cute. And he said, I'm not laying this blame at anybody's feet. And to me, it was clear that he was referring to DJ Elliott. I'm not saying he was blaming Elliott, but it's like he was... He was conscious that it could have been taken as a criticism, as, in, as an implicit criticism of his longtime friend, DJ Elliott, when he said they were trying to do too much last year. They were t- trying to get too cute. And he explained why you might try to get too cute and do too much. And here's the refreshing honesty. One of the things that I thought he alluded to saying it without actually saying it was, you might have some talent deficiencies, and with the way offenses are, how they keep you off balance, how they spread the field. Sometimes you can't just play fundamentally sound, solid, you know, base four three three four defense, and just let the offense come to you and keep them, you know, between the twenties. Um, you got to get cute sometimes, and you got to keep the offense off balance because we might have some talent deficiencies. And I I interpreted that, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm reading too much into it again, but I thought that was Stoops basically saying, at Kentucky, we don't have the luxury of stacking the roster, stacking the deck the way that some top SEC programs do. So we're going to have to get cute sometimes defensively to kind of keep them off balance. But it certainly seems like the pendulum has swung in the direction of being fundamentally sound and solid in what we do and do what we do better and better and better, I think, was his quote. Um, they simplified the defense last year when Stoops took over as the defensive coordinator, as the play caller, 
And I think that's why he feels empowered now, because the defense did get better. It didn't get better week after week after week after week, because you remember how bad the defense was against Tennessee. Um, but it was better against Georgia. It was better against Louisville. It was and forcing turnovers, at least. It was better uh, against uh, several teams on the schedule later in the year. It was good enough to win the games it won and good enough to, to win a couple more that they didn't win. Um, what else did we take from it? Um, Lynn Bowden's on track. Uh, Michael Nesbitt's on track. Certainly for this year, Lynn Bowden is the much more important of the two. However, I will say I've spoken with two people one person who, who's very familiar with Florida recruiting, another person close to Kentucky who's very high on Michael Nesbitt's potential, thinks that they, thinks that he can be one of the top players from the 2017 class if he makes it. Um, and, and what Stoop said today is consistent with everything that we've heard and, and what we've reported, and we've been out front reporting this stuff since the start of the summer. Um, really no reason to be concerned about Lynn Bowden. He just can't be there on campus if he's not enrolled in school, and so he's not there. Uh, and Michael Nesbitt, I, I heard and reported recently on the site that there's a chance he can make it, um, but but it didn't seem as sure or as clear cut with Nesbitt. Um, but certainly between those two, you want both of them to make it, both for themselves and for Kentucky, especially for them and their lives and their futures. Um, but impact on Kentucky season by far, Lynn Bowden, and that brings me. To another interesting takeaway, I mean, if Bowden's not on the team this year, Kentucky really will have a dearth uh, of playmakers. They'll have a lack of explosiveness on offense, until proven otherwise. Maybe Garrett Johnson will be that guy. Maybe Dorian Baker, as a different kind of explosive guy, can be that guy in the vertical passing game. Uh, maybe Saheen King will step up, or A.J. Rose will step up and be that guy. Cleavon Thomas is part of it. In terms of explosiveness, I'm talking like boom, badet explosiveness. Stoops wasn't really grilled about that today um, in either setting that he was on. He was at. And I know that there was a limited time for questions, but he took a lot of questions. And for me, the two, the three main questions about Kentucky on paper this year are the defensive line, the punting, and the explosiveness on offense. Especially, you know, on offense, the two big storylines being Stephen Johnson, the quarterback situation, however you want to frame that, and how do you replace the lost explosiveness of Boom and Bidette. And for all the questions that Mark Stoops took, for all the issues he addressed, he didn't. Re- he was never really pressed on how do you re- how do you replace losing an explosive back, all-purpose back like Boom Williams, coupled with the loss of a guy who who was 21 yards per catch and Stephen Johnson's go-to guy, and basically the reason that you're talking about Stephen Johnson as a good over-the-top play-action passer. Like, how do you? Do you get that from this guy? Do you get it from this guy? I mean, what's Steven Johnson's rapport with these guys? What leads you to believe that that you're going to be able to complement the running game the same way that you did? You know, how is it going to be different, you know? Um, and it wouldn't have been an easy question to answer, and it's not like you're holding Stoops' feet to the fire on that because it's, it's not his fault that Bidette transferred. It's not his fault that Boom Williams entered, you know, put his name into the draft and kept it in there early he recruited those guys he got him in position to to be a part of the team this year so it's not Stoops's fault it's to his credit that he got those guys not criticizing him for it but it's interesting that there wasn't more expressed curiosity on that point because it's a big question for me um and then finally uh the quarterback situation not not really surprising in effect what he's saying to Barker and Hoke is Steven Johnson is the guy but you saw last year how quickly things can change I did think it was interesting 
you know, if, if you're curious, is is Gunnar Hoke maybe the number two guy? Could he be the number two guy? Because I thought he played great in the spring, and I'm not giving any opinion on that. I said I thought Gunnar Hoke was great. I think that Drew Barker can be successful at Kentucky too. Um, but when Stoops was talking about Barker and Hoke, he immediately went to Barker, and he was talking about Barker at length before he got to Hoke. I don't even remember if he got to Hoke or not, but I think that that was a a smart sensitivity to Barker's situation because he's older, he has less eligibility, and truthfully, I think depending on how this year goes, we could, I mean, it's still within the realm of, of plausibility that Barker could transfer. You know, I think it could happen. I'm not going to say too much about that, but I think, you know, if by the end of this season, um, Barker's not getting significant playing time, it wouldn't shock me if he transferred. Um, but I thought Stoops addressed that situation well, handled it well, and it wasn't just coach speech. He's spot on. At this time last year, Drew Barker was the guy, and now Steven Johnson is the guy. So you got to have more than one quarterback. you got to have more than two quarterbacks. There's a, there's a long laundry list of schools that have gone on to their third quarterback within the course of one season. So it's not just coach speak to say you got to be ready and anything can happen. It, I would almost be surprised if at some point Barker or Hoke didn't get their shot. Although, of course, the best case scenario for Kentucky would be that Steven Johnson just lights it up and... and and keeps the job, and there are no questions about it, because that would be a really good bellwether for how the season's going. Finally, recruiting note, we got Friday Night Lights I talked about yesterday, and at the site, consistently, we got the big man camp and the 7-on-7 on Saturday. We're going to be there for all of it. Not going to run down the list of everybody who's going to be there right here. I'll try to have a little bit more on that on the site um, in the very near future. Wandale Robinson, the in-state athlete, um, I think from the 2019 class, is going to be at Kentucky um, in the near future, and he's a big-time player. Wouldn't surprise me if he's uh, if he's highly ranked by the time it's done. He's going to be he's going to be there on Thursday and Friday, I think. But Stanley Garner arrives tomorrow, four-star cornerback, six foot two, six foot three, in the mold of Westrium Beatty. He's going to be there for three days, three or four days. I think Kentucky leads for Garner, and I'm on, I'm out on a limb there because I've never I haven't had a source tell me that Kentucky leads for Garner. I have had people say they wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at Kentucky, um, and people hint strongly that uh, Kentucky's in a really good spot, um, but I haven't had anybody tell me he's definitely going to Kentucky. Um, he arrives tomorrow along with Jaden Davis, big time 2019 defensive back from Florida. And uh, 2019 defensive lineman Braylon Ingraham arrives tomorrow as well. So it's going to be it's going to be an exciting recruiting weekend, and we are going to have all of that covered at the House of Blue. We've made a lot of our content free recently because we're trying to make a push for some new subscribers. And frankly, it's the recruiting content for the most part uh, that that goes behind the paywall. That's just I feel like what a lot of a lot of you listeners um, you know pay for, along with the community, the message board community. But this is going to be exclusive House of Blue stuff. So if you're not a member, use the use the limited time trial offer to sign up. Get some free months added onto your account. And if you're with us at the House of Blue, if you like football recruiting, then you are going to be very happy with the content that we have planned this weekend. I'm going to try to get Derek Terry on the podcast in the next couple of days to get his take on everything that he saw and heard and experienced down in Hoover, Alabama. And with that, we're going to sign off. Thanks for listening. Spread the word. 
retweet, whatever you can do to, to get the word out about the podcast and join in the discussion on the site. If you're not a member, sign up. I look forward to going back and forth with a lot of you on the site as I always do. Have a great night. Thanks again.